Hello, everyone. It's Eves checking in here to let you know that you're going to be hearing two different events in history in this episode. They're both good, if I do say so myself. On with the show. Hi, I'm Eves, and welcome to This Day in History class, a show that uncovers a little bit more about history every day. The day was March 2nd, 1882. A man named Roderick McLean attempted to assassinate Queen Victoria of the United Kingdom outside of the Windsor Rail Station. At around four o'clock on that Thursday, the Queen had left Buckingham Palace, traveling in her carriage through Hyde Park and to Paddington Station to board her train to Windsor. The train got to Windsor Station at 5.25 p.m. As the Queen got off of the train and into the carriage that would take her and Princess Beatrice to Windsor Castle, spectators cheered. But McLean, a 28-year-old Scotsman, fired a shot at the Queen's carriage. The Queen later wrote the following. At the time, there was the sound of what I thought was an explosion from the engine. But in another moment, I saw people rushing about and a man being violently hustled, rushing down the street. A bystander wrested the pistol from McLean's hand. Boys from Eton College, a nearby boarding school, beat up McLean with their umbrellas before several police snatched him up and took him into custody. The carriage windows were drawn up and the queen rode away. But the carriage soon stopped and the queen asked her attendant, John Brown, what had just happened. From Windsor Castle, the queen sent a telegram to the Prince of Wales. It said, in case an exaggerated report should reach you, I telegraphed to say that, as I drove from the station, here a man shot at the carriage, but fortunately hit no one. He was instantly arrested. I am nothing the worse. McLean, on the other hand, was not doing so well. Chief Officer of the Windsor Police, Superintendent Hayes, and Inspector Frazier of the Royal Household Police Force captured McLean and took him into custody. McLean was charged with shooting at the Queen with the intent to murder her. After a search, they found on McLean a six-chambered revolver of German manufacture with two empty chambers, two chambers loaded with ball cartridges, and two chambers with cartridges that had been discharged. The bullet he'd fired at the Queen's carriage was found the next morning in the station yard. McLean was tried for high treason on April 19, 1882, at Reading in England. At the trial, a surgeon named Charles Vernon Hitchens said that McLean had been declared insane years earlier and sent to an asylum. The jury took only five minutes to deliberate. McLean was found not guilty, but insane. He lived the rest of his life at Broadmoor Asylum, and he died in June of 1921. After the trial, Queen Victoria asked whether there could be a change in law so that defendants could be found guilty but insane. That led to the Trial of Lunatics Act 1883, which said that a verdict could deem someone guilty but insane 
and allow that person to be kept in custody as a so-called criminal lunatic. Apparently, Queen Victoria had pursued this legislation because many of her assailants had been deemed mentally ill. The March 2nd, 1882 incident was the eighth and last attempt on Queen Victoria's life. Edward Oxford, John Francis, John William Bean, William Hamilton, Robert Pate, and Arthur O'Connor had also tried to kill the Queen. Only one of those attempts had injured her when Robert Pate hit her in the head with a cane. Nevertheless, Queen Victoria turned out to be the second longest ruling British monarch, only behind today's Queen Elizabeth II. She reigned for a whopping 63 years. Queen Victoria once wrote to her daughter, it is worth being shot at to see how much one is loved. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. If there are any upcoming days in history that you'd really like me to cover on the show, give us a shout on social media at Podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope to see you again tomorrow for more tidbits of history. Greetings, I'm Eves, and welcome to This Day in History class, a show that believes no day in history is a slow day. The day was March 2nd, 1969. The supersonic airliner called the Concorde took its first test flight. Years later, the Concorde went into service, completing passenger flights for nearly three decades. The Bell X-1 became the first crewed airplane to exceed the speed of sound in level flight when Chuck Yeager piloted the craft in 1947. Engineers continued to work on developing supersonic aircraft for research and military purposes through the second half of the 20th century. One focus was supersonic airliners, or aircraft that could carry passengers. In November of 1962, Britain and France signed a treaty to jointly develop a supersonic transport. The British Aircraft Corporation and the French company Aerospatiale were responsible for creating the airframe. Rolls-Royce and France's National Society for the Study and Construction of Aviation Engines were in charge of developing the jet engines. Construction of two prototypes began in France and England in 1965. Four Olympus 593 turbojet engines powered the aircraft. Each engine produced 38,000 pounds of thrust. It had double delta wings and a droop nose for better landing visibility. The Concorde was shown to the public for the first time in Toulouse, France in 1967. The Soviet Union's Tupolev Tu-144 was the first commercial supersonic transport. It took its first flight on December 31, 1968. By this point, the Concorde was nearly ready for its maiden flight as well. Poor weather conditions caused a couple of test flights to be canceled. But on March 1, 1969, pilot Andre Turcotte flew the Concorde 001 from Toulouse. The plane was in the air for 27 minutes before it landed using a braking parachute and reverse thrust. The TU-144 also went into commercial service before the Concorde in December of 1975. 
still, airlines around the world placed orders for the Concorde. The jet did face some setbacks before it could enter commercial service. The jet was extremely loud, so people who lived near airports voiced concerns about the level of noise the Concorde generated. And the 1973 oil crisis led airlines to drop their Concorde orders. But in the end, seven Concords entered service with British Airways and seven with Air France. On January 21, 1976, two Concords took off on the plane's first commercial supersonic flights with ticketed passengers. One was from British Airways, and it left Heathrow Airport in London and headed to Bahrain. The other was from Air France and left Paris Orly Airport, bound for Brazil with a stop in Senegal. The Concorde began completing daily flights from Europe to the U.S. The jet reduced flight times greatly. It had a maximum cruising speed of Mach 2.04, or more than twice the speed of sound. The airlines continued operating safe passenger flights of the Concorde for years. But in 2000, one caught on fire just after taking off, and the crash killed 113 people. Though Concords were temporarily taken out of service and returned to service by 2001, the airlines did not recover from the incident. The Concorde took its last commercial flight in 2003. The TU-144 had made its last flight in 1999. Though there are companies planning to revive supersonic transport, there are no supersonic airliners in commercial service today. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. Send your best history memes to us at T-D-I-H-C podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Email still works. Send us a note at thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you again tomorrow. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.